Now, before we get started, a quick reminder of where we're at here in Jeremiah. If you remember correctly from our study last week, if you're with us, if you weren't with us, just a real quick review. Jeremiah is in prison when he's writing Jeremiah 32 and 33. And the reason Jeremiah is in prison is because there were some prophecies given a few chapters earlier. And those earlier prophecies that were given, there was a false prophet that stood up and basically said, listen, Babylon is coming to attack Israel. But this false prophet said, don't worry about Babylon. Babylon's going to be defeated in two years. Jeremiah actually got up and said, listen, this guy is wrong. Babylon's coming. Babylon will defeat us. This is the hand and discipline of God. And so since this is the hand and discipline of God, we should accept the hand and discipline of God. Well, the king did not like what Jeremiah said. So the king said, Jeremiah, you're going to be thrown in prison because this is basically treason. You're telling us to accept this discipline from God of Babylon coming. They didn't like it, so they threw Jeremiah in prison in Jeremiah 32. So last week in prison, God revealed something to Jeremiah, and we had this great teaching point about how sometimes when you're in a prison of life, and I don't mean literally physically in prison, but you feel imprisoned in life. You feel like you're in a difficult situation at work. You're in a difficult health situation. You're in a difficult relationship. Fill in the blank. You feel like you're in prison. So often we try to run and flee from that, where God says, sometimes I want to speak to you in that dark time. And so instead of Jeremiah trying to get out, God keeps speaking to him. So what we have here in Jeremiah 33, he is still in prison. And guess what the Lord has to say? He has more things to say. When you're stuck in prison, you have nothing to do but listen to the Lord. So Jeremiah is listening to what God has to say here. And I just encourage you, if you're facing a very difficult situation in life right now, I completely agree with you in the human nature. We want to get out of that difficult situation as quick as we possibly can. Now, if it's an unbiblical situation, definitely get out. But sometimes we're just in difficult situations where God says, No, I want you here for a reason. Because in this difficult situation, I'm molding you and making you into the image I want you to be. Jeremiah is in a difficult situation, and God is using this time to speak to him. So, Jeremiah 33. As you know, we try to usually find the key point of the chapter. What's the key point of the chapter in Jeremiah 33? Focusing on the Savior, not the situation. The situation in Jeremiah 33 is completely and utterly desolate. Jerusalem is just months away from being destroyed by Babylon. They have been under siege for nearly a year. As we mentioned not here many times before, the siege was awful. Children were eating, excuse me, parents were eating their children because it was so awful. Jeremiah in this awful siege is now stuck in prison. The situation is completely desolate. Look at the verses we picked out here in Jeremiah 33. Look at the first one there on, our, on your sheets. It says, you say it is desolate without man and without beast. It's desolate. Verses 4 and 5 of Jeremiah 33, the, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. They came to fight with the Chaldeans, which is the Babylons, Babylonians, excuse me, but only to fill their places with dead bodies of men who I will slay in my anger and my fury, all for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Jerusalem's just completely falling apart. They're tearing down the houses to build siege walls to protect them. Men are dying left and right. This, this whole thing is awful. So in the middle of this utterly desolate situation, God says, where's your focus? So here's the situation in Jeremiah 33. Look at verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, meaning the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Then he says in verse 33, Call to me, 
And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now just stop for a second. If you're in Jeremiah's position, you're sitting in prison. The world is literally falling apart around you. People are dying. People are starving. The Babylonians are knocking on your door. And God says in verse 3, I'm going to show you something pretty mighty. I don't know about you. When I would hear that verse, I would say, I'm not seeing anything mighty. Because if you focus on the situation, you're going to be depressed. If you focus on the Savior, there will be joy. Same thing still applies today. I, I, I don't know how else to say this other than to be straightforward. If you come home and the only thing you focus on is what's wrong, I hate my job, I hate my spouse, I hate my house, I hate my car, I hate my health, and your whole world is walking in this negativity of everything you hate, what do you think the result of that's going to be? You're going to be desolate, you're going to be discouraged, you're going to be depressed. Because you're just focusing on everything that's wrong. What about focusing on Jesus died on the cross for your sins? What about focusing on the eternity of heaven that's awaiting you? What about focusing on the grace and the mercy and the loving kindness and that the Holy Spirit literally dwells inside of you? See, if you can't get past all that horrible stuff going on in your life to focus on the Savior, you're just choosing to walk in depression and discouragement. You really are. And I've shared with you before, when I first started out here as a pastor, I used to take somebody who just focused on the negative all the time, and I took it as a personal challenge. To always get their eyes off the negative and get their eyes on the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, I have not ever had one success in that. Because if somebody wants to focus on what's bad, you can't change their mind. You may work with somebody who sees gray and black and everything. You may be married to somebody like that. You may have kids like that. Your friends may be like that. And you get so frustrated with them because you're saying, no, come on. Your life's not all that bad. It's not all that horrible. You're not going to change their mind. Their mind will change when in their heart they choose to look upon the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ rather than the situation that's bringing them down. Jeremiah has to make a choice in prison with this world falling apart. Will I look upon the Savior or will I look upon the situation? And if you're here tonight and you just want to look upon the situation, I honestly don't know what to tell you. I don't know why you would constantly want to be depressed and discouraged about the desolation of life. Life is horrible. There's no way around that. But that's where God has brought us Christ, and Christ brings us joy. That's why he says in verse 3, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call to the Lord, and he will reveal those things going on behind the scenes that you may not see. Now, here's the problem with that. People don't call on Him. They don't open their eyes. I like this verse in Psalm 119, if you're looking at your sheets, where it says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Do you get up in the morning and say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things that you're doing today, because I only want to focus on what you're doing today that is good and great and amazing and moving mountains? Or do you wake up in the morning and say, Another day... Another day where my legs hurt, another day where my job's awful, another day with a spouse that doesn't care, another day with kids that disrespect me. I already know how your day's going to go right then. You're not asking the Lord to open your eyes to see wondrous things from the law. Jeremiah had a choice in verse 3. Does he want to see God moving, or does he just want to focus on the situation? I, I can keep hitting this point again and again and again, but it really doesn't do any good. You personally have to make a choice that you choose to see the Lord moving and working. And if you're the type of person that says, I want to see God moving and working in my life, but trust me, He's not moving and working, then your eyes aren't open. Because when your eyes are open, God is moving and working more than you can ever imagine. 
Pray to have that eyes open. Because when you look at the Savior, what do you see? Look at verse 11. The Savior's joy. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness. The voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. See, God's telling Jeremiah, even in the midst of this desolation, there's still hope, there's still joy, God is still moving, God is still working. Now that's a simple point, but it's a point you have to choose to accept or reject. Any quick questions about that first thing? Because that lays the foundation for the rest of the stuff we're going to talk about here in the lesson. Looking either at the situation and allowing that discouragement to overtake you, or looking at the Savior and looking for that joy and hope that only He can give to get through dark times. Okay. So when you look at the Savior, what do you get a chance to see? I like this. Stay in Jeremiah 33, verse 6. There's three things that you get when you look at the Savior. Verse 6, Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. You get health and healing from the Lord. Now, in the context of this, it's not talking about physical health and healing. And I'm not trying to put that down. I still firmly believe that God does touch and heal physically. It's an amazing thing. What we're talking about here, though, in the context of Jeremiah 33, is the health and healing that God gives to your life. Your life may have been completely and utterly falling apart. God can heal that. That's what the Lord does. My goodness, I don't know how many lives and marriages and relationships I've seen where it's just destructive. It's just desolate. And yet the Lord has healed that marriage. The Lord has healed that relationship. The Lord has healed that person from sin. And, and, and I tell you, I think we take that for granted too much. And I think part of the reason why we take that for granted is generally we're very quiet about the destructiveness of our past. So what happens is someone new from church comes in here, they sit down and they see some couple sitting over there with their arms around each other and say, wow, I wish I had a marriage like them. Five years ago, you wouldn't want their marriage. Maybe five days ago, you wouldn't have wanted their marriage. There's been a lot of desolation that's been healed. Or they look at this person and say, that's a rock. That's the type of Christian I want to be. Yeah, but you don't know what they were like a few years ago. Look what God's done. God brings health and healing. Jerusalem right now is just completely, nearly, utterly destroyed. God's going to heal them. What else does he do? Verse 7, I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and will rebuild those places as the first. God restores See, right now in the middle of this passage, when, when God is revealing this to Jeremiah, do you realize how difficult that would believe? People are being taken captive left and right. They're being sent over to Babylon. We studied out the book of Daniel. We know what happened to them. And the houses are being torn down, being destroyed. God's saying, guess what? One day this is going to be built. There's a guy I know, and he's a visionary. He's one of the greatest visionaries I ever know. And he's the type of guy that when he goes and he looks at this empty field, he sees what God can do. I look and I just don't see it. I just don't have that in me. God is trying to tell Jeremiah, right now you're looking at destruction, but you know what? It can get better. See, I, I know people that only look at destruction. They look at their marriage right now and they say it's destroyed. Yeah, but it can get better. They look at the sin in their lives and they say, there's no way I can ever be victorious in Jesus. Yeah, you can. It can get better. They look at the desolation and depression that they're facing right now and say it can't get better. Yeah, it can. God can rebuild God can return, God can restore. That's what he does. 
And what else does he do? Verse 8, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. God cleanses. Amen to that. Satan loves to condemn and to kick us down and destroy us and to say how horrible we are. And Jesus loves to cleanse us. Look what God does. When you have your eyes on the Savior, there's health and healing, there's restoration, and there's cleansing. What's the result of that? Verse 9. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. See, the result is praise and worship. You stop and you realize, I realize what God has done. I realize what God can do. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. But the catch is you have to put your eyes on the Savior, not the situation. The situation will bring you down. The Savior will lift you up. And when you keep your eyes on the Savior, health, restoration, cleansing, and praise. That's what God does. That's what God is telling Jeremiah. That's what the Lord is telling Jeremiah to have right now. In the midst of this falling apart while being stuck in prison, do you trust me, Jeremiah? Do you trust that I'm going to get you through this? And the same thing happens for us today. Now we're going to change gears here a little bit in Jeremiah 33. So before we do that, anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything that we've covered thus far of that point of focusing on the Savior and not on the situation? Okay, yeah, surely. I agree with you. It is not easy to do. And, and I don't ever want anybody to walk out of here saying, James is making this sound so simple. It, it's not. It, it, takes, it takes a mindset to do it. I read a devotional not too long ago, and it was not about the power of the mind. Don't take it that way. But the devotional was trying to tell you, you have more power than what you can ever imagine because you choose what you want to dwell on. You choose whether you want to dwell on everything that's wrong or you choose whether you want to dwell on everything that's right. It's a conscious decision we make. It reminds me of the passage in Corinthians where it says, Take every thought captive. And you have to take those thoughts captive that are bringing you down spiritually. And we all struggle with this. And and we all do. There's a situation that happens. Someone offends you. Somebody wrongs you. I can either go down that path of anger and that frustration. And what were they thinking? Can you believe they said that? And then it becomes bitterness. I can look at the day and say, look at how my day always goes. This is what always happens. Everything always falls apart. Or I can get up and I can say, Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. He giveth and taketh away. It's a choice you make. And and like I said, not to be repetitious, if you choose to go down the path of bad things always happen to you and nothing ever works out for you and my life is the worst life that's ever existed, and you may think I'm a horrible pastor, I don't know what to tell you. Because you are choosing to go down that path, and I have no idea why you want to do that. Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He has given you eternity in heaven. He has given you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. He he has blessed you with spiritual gifts. I don't know why you want to go down that path. I really don't. It's a choice we have to make, and I truly said, it is not an easy choice to make sometimes, because the flesh likes to rot. But Lord, I don't want to go there. I don't want to rot my life away thinking about those things. Anybody else have anything they want to say here before we move on? All right, 
Now, what happens here in Jeremiah, he takes it even one step further. There is the practical thing of Jerusalem will be rebuilt, Jerusalem will be restored, the captives will return. Amen. But you know what? That's not good enough. Let's go one step more. Verse 14. Behold, the days are coming. Context now is future. Behold, the days are coming that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. We have jumped ahead now into the future. Now, what Jeremiah is saying, listen, not only will Jerusalem be practically rebuilt, Jeremiah, and that happened. That happened. Nehemiah came back and built the walls. They came back and rebuilt the temple. That's what Nehemiah is about. That's what, you know, Ezra is about and Zechariah is about. That happened. Now he's going to the future saying, guess what? Verse 15, this branch of David, that's a reference to Jesus. And that's a reference that's just all over the Bible. I just started refer- writing references down. Isaiah 4.2, Isaiah 11.1, 1, Jeremiah 23, Zechariah 3.8, Zechariah 6.12. Reference after reference after reference that there's this idea called the branch that's going to come and rule and reign. Jesus himself will watch over Jerusalem. And when Jesus watches over Jerusalem, verse 16, Judah will be saved. Amen to that. Verse 16, Jerusalem will dwell safely. Okay, right now... We can't imagine Jerusalem dwelling safely. They're completely surrounded by nations that want to utterly destroy them. You follow the news. There's the war, civil war going over in Syria. So they're trying to sneak arms out to Hezbollah. So Jerusalem has to fire and defeat that. I mean, there's this constant battle going on. So to look at verse 16 and see Jerusalem dwelling in safely, that's pretty amazing. That's what God does. When God is ruling and reigning, when the branch rules and reigns, verse 15... Look at the blessing that happens. And what happens in verse 16? The Lord is righteousness. So what God tells Jeremiah is this. Listen, practically, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Tell the people that. But he goes even one step further. He goes, there's a whole future blessing, Jeremiah, that you can't even comprehend. Now, I can't say that down on this earth. I've been at people on their deathbeds. And you can tell that time is short. And the only thing you can tell them is to take their hand and say, Listen, the future is bright. Now, the future on this earth is coming to a close. But the future is bright for you for what's waiting for you in eternity. See, that's what God is telling Jeremiah here. Is it's going to get better on this earth for you, Israel. But even in the future, you have no idea how amazing it's going to be. The future promises and blessings of God. The boys were asking the other day about heaven. And they're just fascinated with this concept of heaven and what it's going to be like. And our third son, Kenan, every night his prayer request is, Dad, can't we just go to heaven? This concept of just going to heaven. And so Elias the other day was asking about heaven. He had all these questions. And I said, actually, the, one of the best verses that describes heaven, Elias, is Paul wrote that words can't describe heaven. <laughs> and I said, I know I'm not giving you a good answer, but, but the heaven is so amazing that it's hard for our English language to even put it into words of what it's going to be. That's the future blessing that's awaiting you. Now, depending on your personality, one of three things happen. Number one, you may not even be paying attention tonight, so you don't care. Number two, you're paying attention, you say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. My life needs to know there's a future blessing awaiting, and that's what gives me hope, that there's more than this world. Or number three... How do you know this? 
How, how do we know? How do we know what's going to happen? Look what God ends up here in verses 19 through uh, 26. Verse 19. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will be not be day and night in the season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant. God says, here's the deal. If you can break the covenant with day and night, you can break my deal with Jerusalem. So basically, little orphan Annie, if the sun doesn't come up tomorrow, you can cut out all the deals I've made with Israel. The sun's coming up tomorrow. That, that is a, a law that God has created, this idea of day and night. So what he says in verses 19 through 26, if day and night cease, this concept of the sun and the moon stop, he goes, then you know that my covenant with Israel will be broken. Basically, the point is that ain't, it's not going to happen. God says, you can trust me so much on this, And he repeats it again in verse 25. Thus says the Lord, If my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, and I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not going to happen. God says you can trust it. If you are in a doubtful situation in life right now, and you really struggle with this trust thing, look at the last verse on your sheet. Joshua 21.45. Not a world, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. You know, a couple years ago at VBS, we had a simple little phrase that we taught the kids. It was, God keeps his promises. How simple is that? God keeps his promises. God has promised Israel, as long as day and night are going on, I will take care of you. My covenant will not be broken. We can trust that. God has promised you and I in Romans 8.28 that in all things God works for the good of those that love Him, that are called according to His purposes. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119 that the Lord is good and does good. I tell you, I mean, that's the thing. That's what it comes down to. We just studied a couple weeks ago in Jeremiah 29.11 that the Lord says, I have a future for you, I have a plan and a hope, and it's good. Now, we either trust that or we don't. Jeremiah, sitting in prison... Watching Jerusalem be destroyed in front of him has to stop and say, do I believe this? He chose to. Jeremiah then has to present this message to Israel. Do you believe this? That's their choice. Same message is presented to us. You may look at your life right now and you may hate every aspect of it. Do you trust that God is still on the throne? Do you trust that God is still your Savior? Do you trust that God says, I will get you through this no matter what you're facing? That's what the Lord does. Jeremiah is a great practical application that even when everything is completely and utterly falling apart, he says, trust me that I will take care of you. And that's exactly what happened. All right, that ends the study there on Jeremiah 33. Anybody have any final questions, comments here? Yeah, Ron. You talk about Jerusalem to dwell safely. Mm-hmm. Is he talking about when they build the walls well, I would say when Jerusalem dwells safely, I take that to literally mean the millennial reign in Revelation, where Jesus literally rules for a thousand years, because that would then back up verse 15 of Jesus executing judgment and righteousness on the earth. So I believe that's a reference to the millennial reign of Christ, where Jesus literally reigns for a thousand years on the earth. Anybody else have anything here? Rose? And a sword on the other. Yeah, Jerusalem, I mean, Israel has not had peace. They just, they, they haven't had peace in any way whatsoever. And so the only time they will truly have peace is when Jesus is sitting on the throne. When Israel looks to their Savior, that's when they will finally have peace.
Yeah, that's right. That's true. Peace of Christ, it has to be. Anybody else have anything before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for all those here tonight. Um, Lord, if there's some here that are struggling, I pray that they would be able to look towards the Savior and not the discouragement of the life and the world we live in, that they would just trust you. Lord, if we run into people that are just facing those difficulties, help them to see the joy of you. Lord, that they would choose to seek joy and not to focus on the situation that brings them down. We thank you for the eternity that's waiting us. Thank you for the future blessings that you will give us in Israel. And Lord, as your word says, you ask us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we do that, Lord. We pray for them. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.